Welcome to episode 663 of the Aussie Techheads, recorded on 23rd of January 2020. Aussie Techheads is brought to you by startnewcompany.com.au. Register your company fast, easy and direct with ASIC. All documentation provided and held in your account for downloading at any time. If you're an accountant or other professional, you're also able to brand all documents with your company name. Coming soon, ABN, TFN and Trusts. Special discount codes for ATH listeners at the cart use ATH20 for $20 discount. And ATHWebhosting.com.au. Servers operate on SSD drives. Immediate activation, SSL certificates, Aussie support, domain registration, easy install of WordPress, Joomla and Drew Powell. And we have back again Australia's two top podcasters. I'm your host, Jason Oakley, and I'm joined this week by Will Tompkinson. How are you doing, Will? Hey, mate. How are you? Hey, I got it right that way. (laughs) (laughs) Man, no ATH for too long. Everybody's probably been salivating. It's like, when is my ATH coming out? I need it, damn it. When? Yeah, something like that. Um, (laughs) It's, uh, yeah, well, we had... We were supposed to start back last week, but we had a couple of minor technical issues. <laughs> you know, which meant nothing worked. <laughs> oh, yeah, really. That's just, how minor it was. <laughs> it was so nothing minor that, like, yeah, nothing. Everything. <laughs> my my mixer died, then my webcam mic wouldn't work, and then for some reason, we only see a microphone attached to your camera that was like buried under my desk somewhere. And, <laughs> oh, but anyway, I just got a new mixer out of it. Yeah. So. And Glenn's going to get a whole new computer out of something. <laughs> yeah, well, he, yeah, he copped a massive flood the other day from the, go- the storm they had there at the Gold Coast, so that was fun. He wasn't six foot under, but his basement was. Yeah, it was. Um, it certainly got a bit a bit damp. He had, I don't know how much water was in there, but it's interesting. Enough to make your computer dead. Well, especially given that he's, he's like right on the river. So... Uh. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's a very interesting situation how he managed to get so much water in something that's so far above sea level. But anyway, <laughs> so but good yeah, work. So we However, you managed to do it. Yeah, pretty much. So, but uh, so I managed to get this mixer. I ordered a couple of weeks ago because mine has been playing up for a while. Um, and you got it sent express deliveries. Super fast. Well, in in that offence, it was express delivery, but it was express delivery from um, from, oops, wrong button, from America. So you know, it was it was a matter of time till it turned up. But basically, uh, I can't go any further. I'm at the end of the <laughs> I'm at the end of my leash. But uh, it's a pile audio um, five channel mixer. So you got piles now, have you? I'm a big fan <laughs> of pile audio, actually. Um, I've used a lot of the car audio stuff for a lot of years. I didn't realize they did that. But um, their stuff's relatively cheap and, and pretty well priced. Like, that's a $100 mixer. You know, it's, as I said, it's five-channel USB. It also has battery backup that'll run for four hours, so you can intern, like, power it with the internal that's battery. That's like broadcast. Yeah, basically. Um, and oh. that's, that's $100. This is a Focusrite. This is what I was using. Um, this is the yeah, it's a focus dead Scarlet Audio um, thing, uh, and this was like four hundred and something, and it's only a two channel. Wow! Um, I didn't pay that. I, I got a mate who who um, used it in the studio for a while, but 
There's, this is the second one. The first one was the Focusrite Mbox Audio. That lasted about two years, and that was another $500 device. And this one yeah. lasted about two years as well. So yep. they're... Um, now $100 to do better. For a figure for $100, if it lasts two years, I'm already three times better off. <laughs> so, you know. So I got that and got uh, ordered. So it came from the States, which wasn't too bad because I only ordered it two weeks ago and they did say it wasn't going to be here till the first so yep. got here ahead of time which is pretty cool actually got turned up today literally this is like I've just plugged it in how <laughs> um, does even working yeah so hopefully my audio is I'm trying to keep trying to keep one eye on my screen over here which has got my audio balance on it yep. um, so I'm kind of trying to balance on the fly a little bit because I haven't had much of a time to set it up so hopefully my audio is not too horrible tonight <laughs> sounds good at this end so, Better than none at all, like last week. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So that, and then I ordered a scissor mic thing so I could get my mic out of the way because at the moment it's on the desk, and every time yep. I type on the keyboard, you can hear it. Um, so I got a scissor thing, and then that was they said that was out of stock, and they said, oh, you can order this one. So I ordered that one, and that was out of stock. It's happened like four <laughs> times, and I'm just like, no, nah, whatever. I'll worry about it later. Oh. So well, as good as Amazon, this is my first time I've used Amazon. Um, yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Didn't you make those out of uh, desk lamps in the past? Yeah, but now I can, now that people have caught on to that, you can actually buy the, <laughs> you can buy them cheaper now than you used to. It used to, it, was, it used to be like $100 to get one, yep. um, or it was like $25 for a desk lamp that had the same thing, but now you can buy them for like 25 bucks with the proper mic attachment and everything, so it's just oh, easier. Right. that's all worth it. <laughs> figure if it lasts 12 months for you know 20 bucks or whatever it is it's it's worth it yep i got a bit of a technology update as well um my router in the lounge room which did most of the house and did quite well uh would randomly drop off wi-fi it started uh, once or twice a day and in the end it was doing four or five times a day the wi-fi would just go away for like five seconds but it was enough for all the google homes to disappear and then they have a heart attack because they can't come back for about a minute once the Wi-Fi is gone. They can't find it. And then um, iPad and MacBook, they're like, I don't even know what's going on. The MacBook sometimes would stay, keep the connections going and not die until uh, it came back again. But sometimes I'd have to reboot the whole computer because go, the Wi-Fi is gone. And then it'd come back and you could see it in the list and click on one of them, join this network. It's like, no, I can't join that, so I try a different one because I've got the 5 and the 2.4 gigahertz. No, nope, can't join that either, so I reboot the computer and go. And my this computer here is that I'm on now is on Wi-Fi up the other end of the house. It got the Wi-Fi signal fine, but if it dropped out, I'd have to reboot the computer as well because it'd come up and say, sorry, can't join this network, so it's getting frustrating. So in the end, I did a lot of research and came up with uh, the Orby, which is quite a nice little design. Do you have any uh, screenshots of that, Mr. T? Yeah, I can find one. Yeah, there's, and there's and, a uh, lot of different models with those too, apparently. Yeah, it just plugs in the router in the lounge room and then it's got a satellite that's easily configured and I've got that in the bedroom. It picks up the Wi-Fi from the lounge room then relays it through this end of the house so it sort of meets in the middle with good um, signal strength. Easy to set up from a little mobile app because uh, once you plug the first Orbi in, when you've got the satellite, it just says 
Uh, it's got a QR code on the back of the satellite. And you scan it with your phone app and it automatically syncs the two of them together so you don't have to set up passwords. You don't have to pick what frequency and all this rubbish. It just does it automatically for you. And if you've got a big, big house or out to the shed, you can put in more and more satellites as you like. And uh, the only downside that I had was I had three devices in the lounge room that were connected via Ethernet. And the Orbi router has one Ethernet out and the satellite's got two Ethernets out. But I didn't want to have all my equipment moved into the bedroom or into the spare room because if we have visitors in that room and they accidentally unplug it, then there goes the satellite. So, um, But uh, today I actually got busy and got my old router, turned off the Wi-Fi on it, turned it into a sort of bridge mode AP and um, connected it up so it passes through the uh, Ethernet from the other devices in the lounge room straight through on the Ethernet cable. But I've still got the um, satellite here that I can plug two more things in if I ever need to or plug in my desktop if I wanted it, but it all goes through there. And, yeah, it's really good systems. They look lovely very small you know i'm guessing maybe they got the antennas inside which is why they're so tall and mm. they just put a case around it so it doesn't look like you've got a cockroach upside down or something like that but um yeah and the antennas obviously can't break off there's one with the all the antennas that that's i had the r7000 that's a nighthawk i got one of sitting over there the wi-fi is absolutely atrocious on it yep <laughs> you would but think this, with this was a breeze great, but no <laughs> You get you get one month free um, Bit Defender is built into it, oh, okay. and so when whenever you set up a device and connect it to the network, shortly after you get a notification on your phone, the Orbi Bit Defender has just detected a new device is connected to your network. If you don't want this to happen, click here and it'll launch the thing, and you can cancel it if somebody tries to hack or onto your network, which is very difficult anyway. But it's nice to know and. So you get visitors come over. You can set up a guest-only network. So you give your give visitors a different password. They go on the guest network and they don't get access to all your devices in the house if you want to. I had guests here just recently. I just gave them the normal one. But ping, oh, somebody has joined onto your network. This is what their device is called. This is what type of device it is, blah, 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 and the IP address I gave it and stuff. So it's very, very cool. And it, um, it's got a built-in speed test from the router. So you, instead of my computer through the Wi-Fi connecting to the router and then running speedtest.net or something. You just run it directly from the router out through the WAN and it does a fast test there. The only thing that I had to do was um, when I plugged it in, the um, old router's session was still held on my, um, my WAN connection to my RSP. So I just rang them up and said, can you just reset the port? so that the new one can work and that was fine. I mean, I could do it from the app because I'm with um, Aussie Broadband and they've got my Aussie app, but for some mm. reason their app wouldn't connect to their server just when I needed it to. So <laughs> it was pretty good though. I just rang them up and um, they said, oh, we're really busy. Press one and we'll leave your number and call you back. And within about five minutes, they rang back. Hi, everybody. Karen Roby and Adrian Kingsley. Reset Pete. the port. Yep, the port is reset. All good. Yeah, no, it's um, I do like Aussie, yeah, Aussie Broadband. I'm with him as well. Where with him at work, they they're really on the ball. Yeah, and, uh, that striker guy that we haven't mentioned in a long time is looking at going with them next. Yeah, I'm he's with, like, I've been with IINet for like 24 years, but now it's that other company. 
less keen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I'm with uh, them, and I use PowerShop for the for the power at home, and same yep. thing. Like they're they're just on the ball as well. So they're actually running a thing at the moment when you recharge. Um, uh, where are we? If you go to your PowerShop app and you actually recharge at the moment. Um, they have a lot of different features that you can do. Um, like a normal one you would do is called the power saver. So you pay in advance and you recharge. Yep. Um, but they've got one at the moment that's the pay it forward app. Okay. And normally if, if you prepay for $10, you get $11 worth of power. So you, yep. you're slightly better off. With the pay it forward app, um, you get... For nine dollars, so for every ten dollars you pay, you get nine dollars worth of power, and they pay the extra dollar to people who are having, you know, bushfire affected and whatever at the moment. Oh, nice! Um, but they drop your power rate down to a cheaper tariff. So even oh, though you're okay. paying less on the, you're paying less, or you're paying a little bit more and getting less uh, usage. You, yep. you know, but they're dropping your tariff, so you actually end up getting a slightly. You actually come out in front a little bit, and you get a slightly higher uh, amount that you've paid for, even though you paid <laughs> less for it. Like it's a really interesting system that they've got. What kind of feed-in do they have? Um, oh, up here in Queensland, basically everybody's the same. Everyone's eight cents oh, okay. or whatever. It's pretty much just fixed. And do they have that feature that updates the episode on your uh, lower third? <laughs> the current number <laughs> or is that not I knew there was something I had to do so this is what happens when you go away for like a month and don't do anything you, you can't figure out what you're doing. somebody noticed we know you're out sitting there going come on Jason did the intro and it bloody said 663 but it's got 662 on there and you know four more episodes and we're doing 666 and then it's the end right yeah it's all over at that point we're all done <laughs> Um, so I got a script to auto update the date, <laughs> so I'm halfway yes. there. <laughs> I can't, I can't find any way of auto updating the the episode number. So you know, I can't have everything. No. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so and actually on that point too, before we just quickly before we get to the stories, um, if you guys do listen to the show and you do appreciate what we do, obviously, you know, we do this for free. Have been doing it for a long time. Been doing it for. What's been Glenn been doing at first? What do you say, twelve years or something? Um, we would just like to hear from you guys and and let us know what you, what you think. Um, Glenn's umming and ahhing as to whether or not now that he's had this setback with his computer and with his office and everything. He's umming and ahhing as to whether or not he should continue the show. We'd like to hear from you guys and let us know what you think. If it's something that you guys you know would be interested in us continuing, because it is it's a labor of love. Like it's literally something that that we do. Um, there's, there's well, that's it. part of the reason why I stopped with our other podcast is no one ever contacted us or even commented on Apple iTunes or YouTube or anywhere that we've got our stuff to say, hey, we like your show. So I'm like, am I, is, am I echoing into the void here or what's going on? Yeah, and it really does. Um, it really does weigh on you after all, especially when you've been doing it for so long. You know, it's... It's it's hard to get motivated sometimes, especially when you have a lot of setbacks like we've had. Like you know, I've had to buy a new computer, and I've I've spent a forked out a heap of money and all this sort of stuff so we can do it. And Glenn's in the same sort of boat at the moment, and yeah. we've got a couple other hosts, and they're all sort of like umming and ahhing. It, it's basically we just we just want to know if if you know 
we know we have a lot of listeners. We can tell by the numbers that we have quite a decent amount of listeners. We just don't get any feedback. We, we know we have a lot of downloaders. Well, this is true. We have a lot of downloaders. <laughs> we don't even know if we have a lot of listeners. Um, you don't get those kind of stats. So, you know, it's just something that would be nice to hear. Yeah, I was just reading back through the messages. Glenn's been doing it for 14 years. Um, yep. I've been doing it for eight, nine years, something like that. You know, so... Um, it's just it's just something we'd like guys we'd just really like to hear from you and just you know it hasn't got me much just say yes i still listen and yes you know it's something i continue to listen to or you know you know know the show's run its course you know whatever. email glenn at aussietechheads.com.au and he's got two ends so if you've been sending lots of messages <laughs> and they're going and not getting through is because he doesn't know how to spell his name you should set up a forwarder right <laughs> it does he's got an auto forwarder to glenn and <laughs> You can send it to all you over there, or you know, <laughs> whatever. It'll go through. You can even tie Glendon but yeah, it's just something that we'd 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 really want to know, guys. Just let us know. You know, if you want us to change this up, if you want us to become a short format show, if you want us to ditch the video and just stick to audio, you know, just Mister T and I could try doing half an hour, but we've tried in the past. These are half hour shows. What are you talking? We've both come on and gone, there's nothing to talk about. And then an hour and a half later, we're like, I wonder if we should finish the podcast now. This is our short format. You should trust it. It's on our long format shows. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that would be much appreciated, guys. There's, there's several different ways to get a hold of us. Um, you know, you always figure, the easiest way is either through Facebook or Twitter. Um, and there's other links for other, other f- things there as well. So. Can leave a review on iTunes. Yeah, as I said, like even if you want to be informal, just let us know what you think, what you know, what we should or we shouldn't do, if we should be doing it, if we shouldn't be doing it. Thumbs up the YouTube's you know, people, thumbs up. Which, which hosts you don't appreciate, which hosts you do appreciate, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. Host, so. Hosts you appreciate, hosts <laughs> no, yes, uh, no. So, but anyway, enough housekeeping. Let's um. Do something, I suppose. Microsoft briefly <laughs> exposed call center data on almost 250 million customers via several unsecured cloud servers late last year, according to researchers. Bob Diachenko spotted the major privacy snafu a day after databases across five elastic search servers were indexed by the binary edge search engine on December 28. Each contained a seemingly identical trove of Microsoft customer service and support records spanning a 14-year period. Records included phone conversations between service agents and customers dating back to 2005, all password-free and completely unprotected. Most personally identifiable information was redacted from the records, but many apparently contained customer email and IP addresses, support agent emails, and internal notes and descriptions of the cases. This presented not just a phishing risk, but a valuable collection of data for tech support scammers who impersonate call center agents from Microsoft and other companies to install malware on victim machines and steal financial data. If scammers obtained the data before it was secured, they could exploit it by impersonating a real Microsoft employee and referring to a real case number. From there, they could fish for insensitive information or hijack user devices. However, Microsoft was praised for acting swiftly to lock down the exposed servers. After being informed by Diachenko on December 29, the firm had secured all data by December 31. Microsoft is just the latest in a long, long line of companies that have exposed sensitive consumer data through cloud misconfigurations. They include Choice Hotels, Honda North America, Adobe, and Dow Jones. 
But it's okay because Microsoft says that uh, their exposure was limited, so. Yes, I don't want to see Microsoft <laughs> exposed. So your retinas are fine, I guess. That's what they're getting at. <laughs> it's fine. Everything's fine these days. Everybody's email and home addresses oh, yeah, and stuff right. are all over the web, whether you want it to be or not. There's been so many leaks in the last 10 years, it's ridiculous. It'd be strange if your email address is not somewhere on the pr- public database or the dark web or somewhere at this stage. Oh, absolutely. You know, it, it's just running rampant. You know, and it's only going to get worse, too. Like, as we become more reliant on technology, this is the downfall of becoming reliant on technology. You you aren't, you know, you have no privacy. You're not a person. You're just a, you're an asset to be bought and, you know, sold and, and bought to the highest bidders. You know, it's just, what do you do, you know? And even companies that say, our whole goal of our company is to secure your financial data and prevent fraud can't so well yeah i mean some of them have had bigger breaches than yes <laughs> you know some of the other co- you know it's, it's sort of people are like oh i can't remember four thousand passwords i'm like you don't need to just use like four it doesn't make any difference yeah the 90 percent of the stuff you store is in clear text anyway and it's not it's not how often have we seen you know. researchers were surprised to discover that the passwords weren't encrypted and they were sitting on a database in the cloud that was publicly accessible? Yeah, exactly. Every day. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's like even NordVPN, one of their, I mean, okay, one of their servers, one of their uh, VPNs got hacked. Admittedly, there's not a heck of a lot you can do with that because that is two-way. You're like to encode it at both ends and it's just a drop-off point, really, but yeah, even something like that. I mean, that's only going to be used for nefarious use. There's, there's no way you can use that to collect data or anything, but you can still use it for DDoSing attacks and stuff like that, you know. But um, who was it the other day? Chrome. I had pop up on my Chrome browser the other day saying your password's at risk or something. We've, you know, check click here for a check of, you know, if you've been breached or something or other. Yep, have I been pwned? Mm, so, well, there's the other thing too. Yeah, the have I, you know, have I been pwned or whatever? Is you go to that website, you enter your email address and ask them if it's found anywhere. I mean, you're assuming. It is now. Saying, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you're assuming that they're doing the correct thing with your email address in the first place. I have to remember that was just set up by <laughs> some random guy. It wasn't like a big company or anything. Yeah. I, I, mean, think, I think he might have sold it onto a big company now because it was so much to look after and they're integrating it and everything, but still. Oh, probably. I mean, you look at like um, uh, Wiki, um, you know, Wiki and stuff like that, but it's all, you just need to log in to verify who you are and I very much doubt any of their databases are encrypted. Yeah. You know, you, it's, there'd be no reason for it. It's not, you know, it's only keeping details for that, but once again if you use your uh, I used to have an email address that I would use specifically for 90% of the things that I visited and I'd only go like keep my normal you know Facebook Twitter Gmail that sort of stuff would be my, my regular email address everything else yeah. but that got too hard to manage and then you know it's just easier now it's like uh, I'll just put everything I together. used to do the trick you know username plus facebook at gmail.com and yeah 
username plus something else at gmail.com and then it's like too too complicated to manage all of that oh yeah it's too painful (laughs) the normally wears off after a while just everybody is selling all this stuff so i mean so what if you find out that it was at facebook who sold your email address this week even you know my son cam is what four years old so i've set up his facebook i've set up his gmail i was just basically just to have the names you know, before they get taken. Preserve, yeah. Um, and he's constantly getting spam emails, and lately it's it's all been spam emails from Tinder. Mm. Click here to verify your email address. Click here to verify your email. <laughs> I keep saying, you know, reporting this as a spam email, and they keep going, okay, we've removed you from a mailing list. A week later, click here. To, I'm like, what do you think <laughs> that if you've reported that as a spam email three or four times, they wouldn't allow that to process anymore? You'd think so. Anyway. <laughs> So, Any news from you, sir? Yeah, there's a lot of bits of stuff happening. There's no doesn't seem to be anything too major in tech. But uh, speaking of, um, you know, satellites and stuff like that, Sonos. Uh, for those who don't know, Sonos is basically they were one of the leaders in uh, remote speakers. Like you had your your main thing, and then you could put all these remote speakers around your house, and they could play different songs in different rooms. And you know, it was the original. Um, Original Google Home. I think they also even follow you around if you carry your phone, don't they? they? Use, They'll yeah. switch off the bedroom, switch on the lounge room, and yep. the music will keep playing. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah, you can either have it broadcast everywhere, or you can have, you know, this phone is only allowed to broadcast on that speaker. You can have a follow. Yeah, there's heaps of different things you can do. Um, now they've upset everyone. <laughs> pretty much, they've. Um, They've basically, Sonos has been in the news um, over the past few weeks. At the end of the last year, the company came under heavy fire for its recycle mode, uh, the brick perfectly good hardware, a practice that was criticised as wasteful and environmentally unfriendly. Yesterday, the company announced its ending support in May 2020 for a whole raft of speakers, putting them on the path to obsolescence. <coughs> uh, the company announced the plug has been pulled on the following hardware, the original zone players, um, which are two th- from 2006, but it includes versions sold as late as 2015. First generation Play 5, which is 2009, the CR200 is 2009, and Bridge, which is 2007. Uh, according to the blog post announcing this is 92% of products Sonos has ever shipped are still in use, but now some of the oldest products have been stretched to the technical limits in terms of memory and processing power. Without new software updates, access to server overall functionality and sound system will eventually be disrupted, particularly as partners evolve their technology. The overall functionality of your sound system will eventually be disrupted. Uh, Does it sound like it might be they just want you to buy new stuff? Yeah. A further it's the issue, Apple method, isn't pretty it? Pretty much. The further issue is the user continue to use legacy hardware with newer supported speakers and new hardware will not receive updates. This means that either isolating the legacy gear to its own network or making do without updates. Um, the tech out... The tech Tech outlet that registered did some digging through Sonos Q4 2019 financial filings and discovered the company had both been planning for the obsolescence of its products and associated backlash from customers. We expect that in the near term, the backwards compatibility will no longer be practical or cost effective and we may decrease or discontinue service for older products. The filing explains, if we no longer provide extensive backwards compatibility for our products, we may damage our relationship with our existing customers as well as their reputation, brand loyalty and ability to attract new customers. So, does the reason hold water? Well, while the company is reasoning for the recycling mode effectively bricking devices, 
was to was put, to put it bluntly was embarrassing. This time around, there may be some merit to pulling the plug and support for older hardware. Most of the hardware listed was released around 2007-2009, and that's a long time ago in terms of tech. Um, another part of the problem is that Sonos has, made, has not made it clear that the stuff would become obsolete. If 92% of the products Sonos has ever shipped are still in use, then they've set a trend of longevity. Sonos was founded 18 years ago and the first products came to market in 2005. Mm. So basically, um, <laughs> yeah, like... Definitely not for stuff that's just been sold in 2015. That's not long time in tech terms. No, that's, that's I mean... And then I would be asking the question, okay, you launched something in 2006, so the original Zone players are saying, so you're telling me you launched that in 2006 and you didn't touch the hardware in nine years? <coughs> I don't necessarily buy that. Mm. Um, I mean, really, 2009 isn't that long ago. It's only, it's only 11 years. I mean, I've got a laptop sitting over there that's 2009 and, you know, it's still works fine okay it's on xp and whatever but it, it's perfectly usable it'll yeah. actually be powering my i bought one of those mini that's the thing i bought <laughs> bought one of those mini cnc router thingies um oh, yeah. to cut out um circuit boards for prototyping but you know it's gonna sit there and it's going to happily run that for the next 10 years you know it doesn't need much processing power so this whole thing like okay i get you can't support something forever i understand that but why do you have to kill it how yeah. much data does it really use to keep an old file on a server somewhere? The lo- this is the last update patch we've made. It's sitting in this. It's sitting on this FTP server. If you ever need it, it's just there. You're now a Bluetooth speaker only. Yeah, you know, so like it works. Well, no, just let it like work the way it's continued to work. You don't need to change the way it's continued to work. If it's working perfectly fine, even though it's reached technically its limits of being useful. Just leave it working the way it's currently working. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to change that. You know, they they carry on and say, oh, but the new program we're writing for the new speakers isn't compatible with the old one for the databasing and the, the online. Well, don't. Keep them separate. If you've got seven, 92% of your customers have existing hardware, that means 8% of your customers are on the new system. So... Yeah. I would be actually supporting the old system and just maybe occasionally worrying about the new one. <laughs> Still sounds like you know. we want you to buy new ones. Oh, and well, same as Windows. Yeah. We're no longer provisioning for Windows 7 or for whatever they're not doing anymore. And it's like, well, but, you know, like I'm as I said, I'm still running a couple of laptops with Windows XP on them. And yeah. They run perfectly fine. I've got Pandas antivirus on them. And they happily run, and they run faster than they'd run with any other operating system on them. And why change that? Like, just because it's an old operating system doesn't mean it no longer functions. Don't fix it if it ain't broke. You know, I I, I don't know. And worse, I mean, <laughs> at least with a PC, if really, if it was true end of life for the OS, I could always put Linux on it. You know, yep. but something like this, you, you can't do anything with it. Like it's like Google saying, "Oh, I'm not going to support the original Google Home anymore." Like something like eighty-five percent of everybody who uses 
that style of infrastructure, whether it's the home, whether it's the, the whatever, something like 85% of the people have the Google Home or the Google Mini. And yep. it's like they're saying, oh, we're just not going to use that anymore because it's reached its technical limits. It's like, well, <laughs> but it's still functioning perfectly fine for what it is. Yeah. You know, if you have a new device that has new limitations, have a new database for the new device that has the new limitations. Data's cheap. Stop, stop, stop being tight asses. There's Mr. T's rent of the week. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> plenty more where that comes from. Hi everyone, Karen Ruby here oh, with Edmog. Oh, stupid play. Stop. <sighs> Log me in announced that it has agreed to be sold for $4.3 billion to affiliates of Francisco Partners and Evergreen Coast Capital Corporation, a private equity affiliate of Elliott Management Corporation. Purchase price comes out to 8605 per share in an all-cash deal. The company had a 52-week high of $96.87 per share and a low of $62.02. The purchase price represents a 25% premium on the closing share price on September 18th, which the company reports was the day media reports began to leak that the company was up for sale. Bill Wagner, President and CEO at LogMeIn, said in the statement the price reflects the high value of the company and will give shareholders a meaningful return. As you would expect, he was also optimistic that the partnership with Francisco and Evergreen will help the company go forward. As for the private equity firms, they are getting a broad portfolio of products, including unified communications and collaboration. Look me in, bought Jive Communications for $357 million in 2018 to give it deeper penetration in the unified communications market. It most well known, its most well-known product is probably GoToMeeting, which has had to compete with the likes of Zoom, WebEx, BlueJean, Google Handouts, Hangouts, <laughs> Google Handouts, <laughs> Google Hangouts, and others in a crowded video conferencing space. The company bought GoToMeeting from Citrix in 2016 for $1.8 billion. Yeah, I haven't used GoToMeeting in a long time. Most people are doing TeamViewer, aren't they? Even TeamViewer is becoming painful now. There's yeah. several free ones that are far and away better. There's even one that works directly inside the Chrome browser. Oh. You, you don't even need to install anything. You just send to a website on Chrome and it installs into the browser and then it's remote access. Um, which is actually what uh, Steam uses for its remote games. Because I oh, had... Okay. I had it crash the other day and it brought the Chrome browser up and said this site <laughs> said the data sharing or whatever it is has failed within the browser. That's <laughs> hilarious. So, but, uh, yeah, I, I think it's becoming less and less... Um, Probably a good time to sell, right? I think they're the peak of their... Definitely at the peak of their, their business structure. Um I mean, remember there was that whole... Was it LogMeIn or TeamViewer? had that whole range of different things. There was like team meeting and solo and, you know, help oh, desk. Right. And there was a whole heap of different ones and they all did something slightly different than something else. And there was yeah. like go to print and go to, you know, and it's like <laughs> they're all basically exactly the same software with one feature. So if you yeah. need that feature and that feature, you've got to buy two different parts of the software. Two licenses. That's just Ka-ching. dumb. Just 
dumb. <laughs> I wonder the shares went up. <coughs> yeah, well, I mean, um, speaking of shares going up, Tesla. Um, wasn't a story I had. It just reminded me. Um, the Tesla shares have gone absolutely nuts. Yeah. Um, they've exceeded everybody's expectations. They've gone up. Um, let's see if I can but our government said people don't want electric vehicles and yeah, solar and like stuff. Our government know anything about anything. They know more than most people, right? That's why they're the government because <laughs> they know more than everybody. About what? <laughs> Apparently, spending our taxpayer money on sports centres yeah. <laughs> in marginal electorates. Um, I'll just quickly see if I can find this story. But yeah, they've gone up. They're currently at 500. Do you want me to chuck in another story while you're juggling? Uh, that's right. I can, I can wing it. <laughs> so basically, they're currently at uh, 557 US. Um, they've actually dropped a little bit today. They were at a peak at 564 today. Um, but if you look at their shares, like in the last, I'm trying to think when it happened. I think it happened over the last, like, um, yeah, there we go. Since basically, well, it's pretty much when they announced the Cybertruck. So mid mid December, the shares were pretty much sitting constantly at at like $200 a share like they've been there for yep. at least 12 months if not more um, and then in the last month yeah they're up 550 bucks a share so they've gone up $350 a share in wow. in a month and people um, laughed at the cyber truck yeah well uh, the so did regular car manufacturers like they're like um you know it's never going to work we don't need to worry about it it's not really competition you know what's the big deal um, and now they're yeah. like, oh, maybe we should start looking into it and, you know, there might be some sort of future in it. And Suddenly, pre-orders. Oh, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's, I think it's... Um, so I was talking to someone on one of the forums. I can't think what forum was over the last couple of days. And they've um, pre-ordered a, they've pre-ordered a, a Cybertruck. Yep. So, and they're like, they haven't even officially been released with a time and date and they haven't even been approved to run in Australia yet. He's like, I don't care. I'm ordering <laughs> one. It's like, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to not bring them out here, you know, with the amount of money they're going to really, gonna be making. Yep. But, um, I know, oh, that's the other thing I wanted to quickly say too. Obviously, starting, what's the end of this, so what, two weeks, starting next month, there's that stupid new revenue raising thing where you can't touch your phone at all otherwise you're going to get fined you know half a million dollars or whatever it is what was it yeah. $1,300 or something um, and four points or six points or something stupid like that but and they got cameras that detect you touching your phone yeah but I want to know and what the happens the person if sitting you... next to you is not allowed to touch their phone yeah I don't understand but yet it says that you can hand your phone to the passenger for them to take the call <laughs> it says it in there uh, the other thing oh. I don't get is what do you do if you've got Tesla? Because technically it's a VDU. It's a video display unit. And these fines yeah. apply to VDUs. The entire car is controlled via the VDU. There is no other way to control anything on the vehicle. So whether it's even something like adjusting the temperature or you know setting cruise control or whatever, that's all done, th even turning your headlights on, it's all done through the VDU. Yeah. 
So, what, is everybody who's got Tesla going to be paying these fines? They get an exception because they're nice people. So, it's going to be interesting how many people actually fight them. The smart people will fight them. There's, there's no... There's no law behind any of this. It's pure revenue. So all the all the smart people, the people who've got enough money to hire a lawyer, they, they'll all get off the second you even remotely dispute the fine anyway. But yeah, like because of the way it's all worded now, the, it basically means anybody who's got a new, well, not even a Tesla, but even a lot of new cars, like the new um, BMW and the new Hyundai, they've all got the, the Jag. They've all got massive big, just touchscreens in and out, and you control everything through that. Mine's as big as an iPad that sits in the middle between the passenger and the driver. Yeah, that's it. That's what I mean. Like, it's just that's the way they're all going now. So, using your phone is the least of your worries now. Yep. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't understand. The whole car's going to be a touchscreen. Well, um, it pretty much is. You can't really, you, you can't really make it voice control. I mean, yeah, could you imagine having a conversation Turn with left. your passenger? And <laughs> Accelerate ten kilometers an hour further. Uh, yeah. Apply the brakes. We're about to die. Have uh, have um, was it all motion control? You just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Just get one of those uh, the Wii controllers. Yeah, you can wave it around to keep the car going. This way, forwards, back, 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 back. Hang a left, hang a left. <laughs> well, I guess if they're bringing the self-driving cars, and they, the te- this is why they'll never allow self-driving cars. Because if they allow self-driving cars, they'll lose all their revenue stream. Because there'll be no fines because the vehicles will be programmed not to break any laws. Yep. So that's why they won't allow them. That's a terrible idea. Yeah, they'll, they'll never allow them for that. And, that. and that will be the only reason they'll never allow them. None of this, no, nothing else to do with safety or anything like that. It's because they'll they'll lose revenue. Yeah, that's the only reason. So, rewound the basic music player app that you could skin to make your iPhone look remarkably like an iPod Classic has been pulled from the App Store, according to the Rewound Again. blog post on published on Medium. The blog says that Apple pulled the app because it copied the iPod's design, charged for Apple Music features, and people could mistake the app for an Apple product. The blog makes a case that the app had a pretty basic interface that looked nothing like an Apple app, and the iPod Classic skins didn't come pre-installed. You had to download them after you'd already installed the app. Uh, the Rewound blog says the iOS app can't be updated without breaking the app for all 170,000 plus users, but the developer Louis Anslow said he'll attempt to bring the app back in some way. On a GoFundMe page for the continued development of Rewound, Anslow said he'll try some tweaks to get re wound resubmitted in the app store and that the gofundme will help support development of a web page and an android app on the gofundme page anzalo said it isn't clear if apple will ever allow rewound back in the app store and states that we are not promising a fully finished versions of any of the apps still available on android yeah <laughs> if you want your android phone to look like a ipod classic there you go <laughs> I think Pretty I'm, cool idea. Yeah, I, I don't know why. Well, actually, I have to admit, the whole jogging part that the yep. iPad, the um, that thing, 
iPod Classic. That's it. <laughs> the jog wheel <laughs> was probably the best part of that. Like the way it functioned was actually quite nice. And that yep. in an app, in the Android app, functions exactly the same way. And that's actually pretty cool. I could, I can handle that. Yeah. Um, but that well, there you only... go. Now you know what you got to download, Mister T. Whoops, that would be the only thing I'd use it for. I wouldn't use it for anything else. But for that part, you know, if somebody just yep. made that jog wheel thing work with like, um, you know, YouTube or something, it'd be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so I was actually watching a uh, YouTube video today. A guy got a classic. I don't know what was the iPad. I think it was the fifth generation one. Um, yeah, we one that did the video anyway. I think it was like the fifth generation or something. And he t- took the um, I think it was a eighty gig hard drive that it had yep. by default. Took that out, and there's someone who's made this adapter that plugs into the same cable, and you can put four SD cards in it. So he put oh, four right. two fifty six gig cards in it. So he put a one basically like a one terabyte hard drive back into this thing. <laughs> Do you want to know something hilarious right now? What's that? These news stories I did before Christmas. Yeah, that one I know you did. I just I was about to say that, but <laughs> then I'll let you do it. Because <laughs> I went to bring the link up and it was already highlighted, and I'm like, hang on a minute. <laughs> uh, I should have deleted my older stories. <laughs> Probably All right, let's go into something else cool. You'll scroll down for my next lot of links in that document. Busan-based firm <laughs> Genax has spent the past few years developing JFlex, an advanced lithium-ion battery that's ultra-thin, flexible, and rechargeable. With the arrival of so many wearable gadgets, phones with flexible displays and other portable gizmos, we are now interacting with machines on a different level from what we did before. What we're doing at Genax is putting batteries into locations where they couldn't be before. The firm demonstrated some of those new possibilities last week at CES 2020 in Las Vegas. The devices shown by GenX include a sensor-lined football helmet developed by UK-based firm HP1 Technologies to measure pressure and force of impact, a medical sensor patch des- designed in France that will be embedded in clothing to monitor a wearer's heart rate, and wearable power banks in the form of belts or bracelets for patients who must continuously be hooked up to medical devices. To make batteries flexible, companies pay, play around with the components of a battery cell, namely the cathode, anode, electrolyte and membrane separator. In the case of GenX, which has more than 100 patents protecting its battery technology, Shin says the secret to its flexibility lies in a combination of materials, polymer ex- electrolyte, and the know-how developed over the years. JFlex is made from graphite and lithium cobalt oxide, but its exact composition and architecture remains a secret. JFlex can be as thin as 0.5 millimeters, suitable for sensors, and as tiny as 20 by 20 millimeters, or as large as 200 by 200 millimeters. Its operating voltage is between 3 and 4.25 volts. Depending on the size, battery capacity varies from 10 milliamp hours to 5 ampere hours, with close to 90% of this capacity remaining after 1,000 charge-discharge cycles. Each charge typically takes takes an hour. JFlex's battery life depends on how it's used. A single charge can last for a month in the sensor, but wouldn't last that long if the battery was powering a display. Yeah, it's um. Now over to Mister Battery for a comment on that. I thought it'd be uh, interesting to hear from you, so that's why I put it in there. Yeah, it's the whole um thing on uh, graphite batteries is 
the jury's still out. It's not new technology. The, the whole concept of graphite batteries has been around for for quite a while. Um, the biggest problem with them, and they are, they're, they're stable, they're rock solid, like, you know, they're, they're pretty much a bulletproof battery and they're very reliable. Uh, and the biggest problem with them is getting them, like, the, the, the whole advantage of lithium is they're very energy dense, so you can have quite a small cell that produces quite a lot of energy. The biggest problem with these is whilst they're a very thin and flexible cell, they don't have great energy density. Um, They can deliver a lot of current, but the battery themselves actually aren't super powerful. Now, they may have changed that. They don't actually really say... They don't... Well, I've been looking through their website quickly. I can't find anywhere it talks about the energy density. Um, Normally, that would... If it's something... That's something you would generally focus on, particularly if it was a... um, you know, a high energy density battery. Um, so I'm still just sort of half looking, but so they don't sort of talk about that, which makes me think that it's um, it's not that energy dense. Having said that, I mean, if for example you're you're weaving it into fibers, you know, and you're making an entire piece of clothing from it, it doesn't necessarily have to be that energy dense because the you know you, you're using a lot of it. Um, so it'd be interesting to see. The the good thing that that would um, that would be able to do is, as I said, it will handle a lot of current, so it will very quickly recharge. So even if it is <coughs> a um, even if it is a smaller cell, so a lower power cell, it will charge incredibly quickly, which means that y- you can kind of make up for it by having the ability to recharge the cell so quickly so say your phone had one of these batteries in it for example and it only had a you know say a six hour life instead of a 12 hour life it basically means that you know you could plug it in you could plug it in go to the toilet come back and it'd be fully charged again you know that's that's how quickly it would charge so it wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing or a deal breaker you know if it was a a less density Maybe they'd use um, it in small things like wireless earbuds and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, once again, it depends on the energy density because if it's something too small, you're not going to be able to get the power out of it that's going to be able to charge. And I was just looking at its voltage curve here. Um, it seems that uh, it has a... Like lithiums generally have a very linear curve so like they they'll charge their their functioning voltages from 2.8 to 4.2 but they sort of hit say uh, depending on the cell but let's say they hit about 3.6 volts and they'll sit there for a very long period of time and then they'll drop away like most of their storage capacity and usable current is held within a particular voltage range which makes does the um, pebble smart watches were like that people are like why don't you put a, a display on there that shows how much charge is left they're like but it'll show this much charge, and then it'll suddenly drop down. We can't slowly go down as a battery. Yeah, so what you need to do is you need to monitor the current that's going in and out of the battery and mathematically work out how much percentage is in the battery, which is why all lithium batteries... I'm looking around because I usually have one, but I don't. All 
the, the vast majority of commercially released lithium batteries have battery management systems on them and that does that mathematical equation so you can work out exactly how much capacity the battery's got and it's worked on, yeah, if the battery's, a t say it's a 10 amp cell uh, and you, as you're drawing the current out, it's doing the mass and working out how much of that amperage you're drawing out and it can work out how much power's left in the cell. The, the thing is with this one, it does it does seem to have more of a dynamic curve like a traditional battery where it starts off at a certain voltage, in this case 4.2 volts. And as you're consuming the power, it actually seems to... The voltage has a linear curve, so the voltage actually drops away on a nice linear movement. The current of the battery doesn't drop off. It actually maintains... Uh, uh, holds load the entire way through that a thing, a normal like alkaline, like a torch battery that you'd use in radio control cars or in um, remote control stuff like that, they'll they'll drop in voltage and linear voltage, but the current drops away as well. So the lower the voltage of the battery, the less current it can deliver. This seems to be able to deliver the same sort of current no matter what the voltage is, which is going oh. to make monitoring much easier. You can have a traditional style battery monitor, uh, or you can tell what the condition of the battery purely by the voltage. So that's going to be good. Uh, and it does have other advantages too. It's not going to sulfate. It's, it's going to be able to sit around flat and not damage it. So there will be other advantages, but uh, it's just going to be interesting to see. As I said, there's been several attempts at this um, previously. And it's just going to be interesting to see what's going to make these guys different from the rest of them. I know they're saying they've got you know all these 100 patents or whatever they've got, but most of these companies did and most of these companies didn't go anywhere because they couldn't get they couldn't get the density required to make these batteries feasible. So we shall see. Yeah. How are we doing for time? I don't even know. <laughs> I have no idea. Do you want me to be looking at these sort of things? <laughs> um, 55 minutes we've been recording for. Cool. So there you go. So just are you quickly, doing for stories? Yeah, just quickly. Uh, Windows 10, uh, new rollout, 1909, has entered its next phase. Um it's basically bumping up the uh, 8 and 9 PCs. So Microsoft has stepped up the Windows 10 uh, migration to November 2019 update by targeting more PCs on the October 2018 update. So basically, you've got the older original install. Uh, it's pushing you up now. Um, unless you've got updates disabled, which isn't necessarily a bad thing in Windows 10, I'll tell you that. <laughs> the next phase of the Windows 10 1909 push comes just over two months after the start to roll out the update, which is more like a service pack. Um, then, uh, more like a service pack than the traditional twice yearly update. Uh, they made Windows 10 available to seekers who want to check updates from Windows Update, download and install a version. As of Tuesday, they're starting to push it out across automatic updates. Um... And it, <laughs> the uh, yeah, they're pushing the latest, the latest one out in this latest patch. I was just reading the size here. It's something stupid. I, I can't find it now. There was something like oh, God, I wish I could find it. I saw it before. It's something like um, twelve gig or something is the new update. Wow, something insane. So they'll go great for all those ADSL people. Mm. Well, it's like, and you know, like my mother-in-law runs uh, Intel NUC, which is a tiny little, you know, yep. basically. A, a, I mean, it's bare bones. It's still a two-point-two gig Atom, you know, quad-core Atom PC with like sixteen gig or eight gig of RAM, and 
But the big, biggest thing is it's only got, um, I want to say 164 gig, I think, of, of yeah. hard drive space. So, you know, by the time you put normal Windows 10 on there without all the updates, just standard Windows 10, Office, a couple of bits and pieces and a browser, you've used three quarters of your hard drive already. My HP you know. stream has got 32 gig SSD and it's used up like 26 of it with Windows and window update things. So when a new version comes out, my only chance, which happened last time, I have to wipe off the whole hard drive and just do a full new install of the updated Windows. Mm. Uh, it's it's stupid. It really is. They I mean, had hacky ways around doing it. They're like, oh, you could install the update through the USB if you do this hack and that hack, and no, it doesn't work. I had to just format the hard drive and install Windows from scratch. Yeah, and, and I mean, as I said, I've got my, my mother-in-law's one. I've got the updates turned off because, well, she doesn't need them. But hmm. they don't benefit. They're not going to make the thing faster. They're not going to do anything. They're not going to help in any way. Um, and one of the work computers, I've got it turned off on mine, but another work computer, I leave it on. And every time there's an update available, the system slows down. It starts crashing. It goes strange. like, And basically forces you to restart to install the update. You yeah. know, it's, <laughs> it's just so rude. So I don't have it on. I turn it off on this one too. Like this is, as I said, this thing's a you know, weapon of a PC, but it doesn't need to update. Like it's fine. It doesn't need updates. Don't worry about it. <laughs> There's not like, it's not like the updates are improving the OS. No. You know, they're not improving the user experience. Yeah. They're not, they're not, all they're doing is slowing it down and taking up more hard drive space. <laughs> new Bluetooth standard will be known as LE Audio. And one of the biggest improvements will include a feature called multi-stream audio. Bluetooth is currently limited to streaming audio to just a single device. That's fine for portable speakers and headphones where both sides are connected with a wire. But for wireless earbuds such as Apple AirPods, your smartphone can actually only connect to one side. That earbud then has to forward the audio stream to the other one in your other ear, which requires some clever software tricks to ensure everything remains in sync. Multi-stream audio will solve that as it would allow a single device, such as a smartphone, to stream flawlessly synced audio to multiple audio devices at the same time. The most obvious benefit is that it will be much easier to make wireless earbuds work more reliably without any audio lag issues, but the feature promises to also benefit those who want to use their wireless headphones with multiple devices at the same time, such as tablet, phone and laptop, streamlining the process of switching between each audio source without having to go through an annoying disconnect-reconnect process each time. Bluetooth LE Audio will also make sharing a music stream with others possible. Users should be able to easily share audio from their smartphone with friends as multiple sets of wireless headphones can be connected to a single source device at once and each should receive the exact same audio stream in perfect sync with all the others. Further expanding on that idea is another new feature known as Broadcast Audio, which allows a single audio source device to broadcast several audio streams to an unlimited number of wireless headphones without any private pairing required. I've never Sounds understood cool. that. I've never understood why um, you... I, I get that you've got to pair a device to it. I, I understand that. But if you're broadcasting an audio signal i've never understood why you've been limited to one receiver it's a broadcast it shouldn't matter yeah it's only one signal it's going out it shouldn't matter if there's one or a hundred devices receiving it 
it, it doesn't change that we bet one that signal. came from the music industry right we don't want that because then suddenly everyone's going to broad- they'll have a party in their house invite 50 friends and they'll all be listening and we want licensing rights for more than one person listening and yeah I don't, I don't know where that came from it was just a dumb idea like every other every other transmission whether it's radio frequency whether it's digital transmission whether it's whatever anything that broadcasts can have multiple receivers you you might have yeah. to you know tune into that frequency or pair to that device but it doesn't take any more hardware processing power to broadcast one stream to a thousand people as it does one stream to one person it's it, it doesn't <laughs> change that uh, I, that always bugged me about bluetooth i always had yeah. issues and the other thing that annoyed me was i the, i got some headsets that were bluetooth headsets for for, t- for talking on the phone but you couldn't listen to music on it uh, it didn't allow you to check you know when you go into bluetooth you go into settings and you got um phone and audio yeah it didn't let you take the audio and uh, a couple of devices you could take the audio but then you couldn't take the phone you could choose one <laughs> you could either use a headset for making phone calls or for listening to music you couldn't yeah. use it for both i'm like that's the whole point of it. Send the signal from the phone to the device and do as you're told. Don't give me attitude. Yeah. Just get what you're given. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just bugged me. I'm like, ah, why? Who? Uh, who decided that this needs to be a standard? <laughs> yeah. So, no. Well, that's about it for me. How about you? Yeah, there's a few, few random things. I'll tell you one thing quickly, though. You need to get these magnetic... Um, you can see hang on the bottom of my phone there. There's magnetic um, cables, USB cables. Yeah. So when you you that just stays in your phone, and then you just literally just put the cable somewhere near it. The magnet's that strong; it just clips onto it. And like the old um, MacBooks used to be. Sort of, yeah. It's a bit stronger. Um, and if you happen to trip over the cable in the middle of the night or whatever, it just breaks away from the phone. Doesn't destroy the cable. Doesn't drop you, drop your phone on the ground. Oh, They're only a few bucks on eBay, and they are amazing. Cool. Get them in one, two, and three meter lengths, and um, it also, and it, that is one weak point of the Samsungs. The charge ports do break relatively easily. Um, you don't want to be plugging things in and out all day. Yeah, but the biggest reason is yeah, if you pull a pull a cable out and you bent it down, you completely destroy the cable. So you're riding cables off all the time. But I mean, okay, it's a little bit proud but if you've got a case the other phone's got a case on it and this sits on I get that for goes. my mum's Kindle because she's got a bit of Parkinson's and when she plugs the cable in it screws Please, up yeah. the port and we've had to throw away Kindles and other devices because the socket has been destroyed yeah this is, is really good it, um, it works like you can just hold it like an inch away and it'll it'll I don't know whether is the magnet in this or is the magnet no the magnet's in the in the thing I don't have a cable here but yeah um, I really recommend people get these. It makes life so much easier. <laughs> there are for all sorts of different devices you can get. Not just these. You can get uh, the USB-C or whatever it is. You can get the uh, iPhone one. You can get a few different connectors. But they're all in the channel. Like, they use the same cables. So the other cool yep. part is if, say, you had the USB-C and I had this one, I went around to your joint and then charged my phone, I can just plug the cable. Like It'll still it's attach to the same cable just with a different socket. So nice. that's pretty cool. 
Thanks for listening to the Aussie Tech Heads show broadcast weekly. We can be found at facebook.com slash Aussie Tech Heads, twitter.com slash Aussie Tech Heads, youtube.com slash Aussie Tech Heads. Email us, Glenn, Will, or Warlock at aussietechheads.com.au. You can hear Aussie Tech Heads on Aussie Tech Radio 24-7, back-to-back play of some of the best tech-related shows from around Australia and New Zealand. New shows added each Friday. We'll hopefully see you next time. Bye. Bye.